In Your House 5, Seasons Beatings. It took place December 17th, 1995. It was attended by 7,289 people. Ouch. With a buy rate that amounted to about 80,000 buys. And it took place in the Hershey Park Arena in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Matt, I think it's safe to say, even before the NWO, the WCW looked to be in better shape than the WWF at this point. That's fair to say. I mean, we've we talked about this company's issues going into this show, and for all intents and purposes, it's kind of an extenu- extenuation or a continuation of what we've been talking about. The only difference is Diesel's no longer the champion. Yep, they took the belt away from him at the last pay-per-view that we covered, Survivor Series 95, which you and I gave a pretty decent rating to, despite a couple clunkers. It was a decent card. Here we have Bret Hart taking on Davey Boy Smith in the main event. And I have to ask you, sir, I mean, did you see the SummerSlam 92 match that they had? Yeah, I've seen it. Uh, And that sort of carried into the storyline because you already have Bulldog with a victory over Bret going into this title match. Uh, and Bulldog's a full-fledged heel now, which he was not. He was the hometown kid, SummerSlam 92. So there was a lot of good stuff that could play off of going into this pay-per-view. Correct. And then we have an, our announcing team is Vince McMahon and Jerry Lawler. I think we've talked about this in the past, but let's get into it again. What do you think of this announced team? I thought these two fed off each other pretty well. They do, and this was Lawler's return because he briefly held out. Mm-hmm. Uh, this wouldn't be the first time Jerry Lawler would have issues with the WWF and be taken off television. Yeah, it's a good tandem. Yep. All right. So, opening match is Razor Ramon and Marty Jannetty versus the 123 Kid and Psycho Sid. So, as we mentioned when we talked about the Survivor Series, the kid at this point was a heel, and they're really trying to play up this feud with him and Razor. I mean, these two just can't get away from each other, can they? <laughs> no, and they really should have saved this for WrestleMania. Good point. Uh, they could have waited because this feud had so much time investment into it and there was no need to I feel uh, continue it without doing the big blow off at Wrestlemania so like this was a, a kind of a I'm not going to say a bad way to continue it but you could have gotten more out of this if the heels won this match well as we'll see this was a setup for another feud that Razor Ramon's going to be a part of, and one that he's not too happy about being a part of. Yep, and one that was ultimately not fulfilled. Correct. Although I can't complain about what they did yep. with the substance. Definitely, we'll get to that very soon. But let's get to this match. We have the one, two, three kid. He's avoiding Razor Ramon early on. He's doing the heel thing. Janetti starts trading shoves with him and attempts pulling the kid into his corner. Janetti then tags Razor, but the kid once again bails. So they're holding off getting these two together pretty quick, which I always thought was a good move when you have two guys who kayfabe hate each other. This is a, I, I like when we're anticipating them locking up. Yeah. Janetti returns a kid to the ring, so the kid then makes a blind tag to Sid. Sid and the kid, they double-team Razor while Sid clubs him with forearms because that's Sid's Sid's move is the forearm. Sid and Razor, they trade punches until they both go down to a double clothesline. Then the kid and Janetti, they face off again. Janetti gains control with a power slam and a blockbuster move. He also wears the kid down with some holds. Man, you know what? Say what you will about Janetti. The guy, when he was on, could really wrestle. 
Yeah, and I think referring to people as the Marty Jannetty of a tag team is a bit unfair. It should be who's the Jim Neidhart. There you go. That's a uh, because yeah. Marty's a much was a much better performer, and he yes he had a ceiling, but you could you could do stuff with him in the mid card or slightly below. Great point. Um, so I, I always thought making him the the go to example of of tag team wrestlers, one getting the short end of the stick. I always thought it was a bit unfair to him in certain ways. That's a good point. So the kid then rallies, and him and Sid, they use uh, some referee distractions and double teams to regain control of the match. They taunt Razor, but the kid then misses a corner attack. Sid and Razor, they return, and Razor starts cleaning house. He whips Sid and the kid into each other and then gives the kid a fallaway slam. And again, this is the payoff that you do by having these guys avoid each other as you do stuff like this. Yep. Sid's reversing a Razor's edge, and then he tries capitalizing with a leg drop, but he misses. Razor Ramon then surprises Sid with a boot and nails a diving bulldog for the win at 12 minutes, 22 seconds. Matt, what did you think of this opening match? I thought it was fine. I wouldn't call it anything spectacular. Uh, it was just a way to, to keep this going. It's kind of like a it's like a time filler. It's one of those filler episodes before you get to the season finale. Correct. Yeah, I agree with that, although it was decent. It, it did get kind of slow in the mid parts, mostly when Sid was involved. But for the most part, I agree with you. You know, it was, it was decent enough. Honestly, with the exception of one match, I didn't remember too many highlights from this show. So the fact that this lived up to better than what I was expecting was kind of good for me. Let's get to what this match was really about, because after this match, Razor's grabbing Kid, and he's attempting a Razor's Edge on him, but Sid saves him. And then everybody's retreating on the bad guy side. But Goldust, we see him fanning himself while watching all of this taking place. So we're setting something up here, aren't we? Yep. But uh, they kind of had to tone this down uh, the weeks that followed because of uh, they got a lot of complaints from various gay rights groups. Yep. We'll get into that for sure. And you look at what they did in the Attitude Era with Goldust. It's like, oh, my God, clearly they didn't listen. I know. They said, fuck it. But let's get to Matt's main highlight of the night. And this is the ring announcer announcing. He starts announcing the match, but Jerry Lawler interrupts him. Why? Because he's introducing Matt's favorite wrestler of all time, Double J, Jeff Jarrett. Yeah, listening with anticipation. (laughs) Obviously, Jarrett is back, but he's not bringing the roadie with him this time. He had patched things up with Vince at this point. They had a kind of a fallout, and Matt, you and I have discussed couple of times where he had a great match with Shawn Michaels, probably the one of the best matches of Jeff Jarrett's career, honestly. So easily. And they at that point Jarrett was like, fuck this, I'm walking out. But here he spells his name, he's doing some fake laughs, doing the same shit that he's always done. Says that he says he has a frame gold C D for Ain't I Great. So we're doing the exact same bit, aren't we? And this was a return that ultimately led to nothing because he was there until early 96 and then went back to WCW at the end of 96. Yes, when he joined the Horsemen, which we'll definitely get to. <laughs> yeah, he was like the uh, he was like the big free agent. Was he going to go with the Horsemen or the NWO? Mm. And I would have left him undrafted and never signed him. So Lawler finishes this really dragged on promo by asking Jared, why don't you just join me for the commentary for the next match? You know what that means. He's going to get involved. The next match was going to be Ahmed Johnson versus Dean Douglas, but Dean Douglas conveniently had an injured back. I like how this is sort of playing on the the thing that happened where Sean got beat up by the Marines and couldn't wrestle. (laughs) Exactly. And we get his replacement, 
Buddy Landell, Nature Boy Buddy Landell. Matt, how much do you know about Nature Boy Buddy Landell? Next to nothing. Buddy Landell is a real interesting story. He was a guy who had so much potential. And then he did the flare knockoff gimmick that kind of tore him down a bit. He didn't really get a lot of good notices with that gimmick. And he got involved. He also got involved in some drugs at this point. He could not get away from his tendencies. And these habits were his downfall. He died at a very young age, I believe in his mid-40s. And here was his last-ditch effort to kind of make something of himself. And it's... Look, this isn't even a match here. We have Ahmed Johnson slapping Dean Douglas, who, by the way, did come to ringside. But Buddy Landell attacks Johnson. And Ahmed Johnson is just no-selling these chops and forearms. And he throws him in a corner. Jarrett thinks that Ahmed is wrestling dirty in this match. But Johnson catches Landell with a spine buster and nails a pearl rubber plunge for the win at 45 seconds. Yes, 45 seconds. Not really a match, was it, yeah. Matt? No, he, he almost can't even score it because it's not. No. There's nothing to it. All it is is to set up what happens next, which is pretty much Ahmed Johnson getting hit really hard with this fucking gold record. Oh, man, I, I was not expecting this. No, I also wasn't expecting Jeff Jarrett to revisit this in 1997. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, the the story of Buddy Landell, we'll see more matches of his when we go back to the previous era. This, I believe, is the last time we'll see him in this era. But he did he did have some really good matches, and it's just a shame. You know, he, it's just the same story that you see with a lot of these guys and girls. They go too hard too fast, and you know what you see what happens. So we see Todd Pettengill. He's with Razor Ramon in the America Online room. Remember America Online, Matt? <laughs> I remember, I remember the sound effect yes. more than the actual product. Yeah. So he's congratulating Razor Ramon on his win and then mentions that Razor Ramon has to face Yokozuna on Raw the next day. And then Todd starts going back to Vince, but he remembers to give Razor Goldust's note that he left. And Razor reads it, gets a look of disgust, he crumples it, and throws it out before leaving the room. That's what we're setting up, folks. Razor Ramon versus Goldust. We'll talk about that in the next couple weeks. All right, let's talk about what we're really here to talk about. The Arkansas Hog Pen Match. Hunter Hearst Helmsley versus Henry O. Godwin. Yeah, when, when people say you have to eat shit like the taste of it, uh, this is the literal, oh, uh, God, you talk about paying your dues. Yeah, well, again, at this point, the curtain call had not happened yet. So this is Helmsley paying his dues even before that happened. So <laughs> curtain call would happen in March of 96, so... Oh, boy. Here we get to the match. So they're trading punches until Godwin. He backdrops Helmsley. He then ties him in the ropes and rubs slop in Helmsley's face. <laughs> so he's literally eating shit here, isn't he? Yeah, and this is basically one of my problems with, with wrestling is I don't like overdoing gimmick matches. This is the same thing as a casket match, which we will have later on this show. Yep. We see a pissed-off Helmsley respond with a neckbreaker and a knee drop. They go out to the floor where... Godwin reverses Helmsley into the steps. He then carries him to the hog pen, but Helmsley rams him into the rail. He then attempts a pedigree, but Godwin backdrops him onto the fence because, of course, he does. Hunter avoids falling and drops an elbow off of it. Both men then return to the ring where Helmsley surprises Henry Godwin with a kick. However, Godwin catches Helmsley and nails a wheelbarrow slam. He also whips Hunter into the corner for a flare flip. 
and throws more slop on him. We're overdoing it again. They brawl back to the pen, and Godwin attempts the slop drop, but Helmsley blocks it, and Godwin lands hard on the floor. Hunter grabs him and whips Godwin towards the pen, but Henry reverses it. Hunter smashes into the gate and cuts his back in the process. That looked painful, dude. (laughs) That looked really painful. Yeah, that did not look pretty. Godwin then charges at Helmsley, but he backdrops Henry into the pen for the victory at 8 minutes, 58 seconds. Matt, what would you think of this gimmick match? Thankfully, you would not see this ever again, (laughs) at least in this concept. But honestly, it's not as much of a train wreck as you think it would be. Because when you when you hear like what this is, you know people argue it makes wrestling too much of a of a cartoon. But w- with what these two guys were asked to do, this could have been a lot worse. I agree. I was kind of entertained by this match. I I am not ashamed to admit it. We didn't get some back and forth between Hillbilly Jim and uh, Helmsley, so we have a post match <laughs> brawl going on here. And of course, he's falling and in the pen and the mug and pig crap. It just this is just stupid. <laughs> And all of this was really bad for Helmsley because apparently this all got in his wound and it, it infected it to the point where I believe he still has the scar to this day. Yeah, he's got a goddamn staph infection because of this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We get a promo for the Royal Rumble, which we'll discuss in a couple weeks. That's not the sign of a good show, by the way. Hey, we're going to plug the more important show down the road. Exactly. So we're getting a recap of Diesel's actions since the Survivor Series happened. He's refusing to apologize for his actions, where he powerbombed Bret Hart at, after that and shoved some referees down. And then they all, they're also showing Shawn Michaels collapsing and Owen Hart gloating about it. So do we know what to do with Diesel here? Because he's fighting a bad guy, but Diesel's not really a bad guy, but he's not really a good guy. What is happening here? Well, he's still tied to Sean. Yeah. So that's the angle they could work around, is that they're still friends. But Diesel morphing into the Kevin Nash persona he would take to WCW. That's a great point. Um, this is really the, the, the onset of that. And it worked, you know, because he talked about how he was turned into a corporate puppet, which he, he was a seven-foot Hogan wearing black, mm-hmm. basically, as the world champion. But, you know, and this was him sticking up for his friend. So he wasn't a full-fledged heel yet, so it could work. But, look, this is... What we're about to talk about is much like Ahmed Johnson. It's a glorified squash match. It is. So we have Owen Hart versus Diesel. Owen's with Jim Cornette. This pretty much came about because Owen Hart had an open contract after Shawn Michaels had to bow out due to what happened to him in Syracuse. But Diesel's the one who answered that challenge. So again, we're playing that card, right? Like Diesel being the tweener here. The match starts off, Diesel hits Owen with some elbows and knees before he Beal tosses him across the ring. He nails a side slam, and then Owen tries his agility and some punches, but Diesel shoves him to the mat. Owen then bails, and Diesel retrieves him, but Owen gains the advantage with a wheel kick and a missile drop kick. He then attacks Diesel's leg and gives him an insiguri. I always love when Owen did that insiguri. <laughs> Great-looking move. Owen continues focusing on the leg until Diesel shoves him into the post. Diesel follows with Snake Eyes, which we discussed last week, which was a move he brought from WCW, and a running knee attack. He also uses a big boot and signals for the jackknife. Diesel says it's for Sean before nailing the move. However, Diesel stops his pin attempt. He decides to give Owen a second jackknife. The ref admonishes Diesel, so he shoves him and gets disqualified. And then Diesel, as an exclamation point, delivers the jackknife anyway. And so he Owen Hart wins by disqualification at four minutes thirty four seconds. Wow, what do you think of this one? Uh, it, it, uh, it's okay. What I'll say about it, you're right. It's kind of a squash match, but they also 
still kept Diesel looking strong. So for that, I will give it. I mean, he's about ready to jump into a feud with The Undertaker. And I think this is a good way of keeping him strong without having him, quote unquote, get pinned. So we didn't get some weird shenanigans involving Santa Claus and the character of Santa Claus, who's from the South Pole instead of the North Pole. This is Balls Mahoney. This is a terrible gimmick, and it's not even really worth talking about. <laughs> yeah, let's. Uh, this is the 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 season's beatings where we just need to move on. Yeah. <laughs> Although what what happens next is not that much better. <laughs> the aforementioned casket match. We're getting a recap of Mabel versus Undertaker. Poor this poor bastard. I mean, like Undertaker, like all the casket matches he's had, most of them suck. Mm-hmm. Like Yokozuna, comma this, like it's it's. I've never liked the casket match gimmick, and there's a lot of gimmick matches that are tailored to the Undertaker that we'll see over the years. You know, this buried alive matches, which you could also describe as the subhead for the clip in a nutshell. <laughs> you put him in there with fucking this stiff King Mabel. We have been doing this podcast for a while now. It seems like every single time you and I talk, we are talking about Mabel versus The Undertaker. Yeah, yeah, that's the same guy who legitimately broke his nose. Broke his nose. Botch, like, yeah. why he was wearing that uh, Robert Englund Phantom of the Opera mask. <laughs> nice. Robert Englund Phantom of the Opera mask. All right. This sh- match is pretty short and painless, but let's get through it. Mabel's luring The Undertaker to the floor, and he attacks him as he enters the ring. Oh, by the way, this is Mabel versus The Undertaker in a casket match. Mabel's luring The Undertaker to the floor. He attacks him as he enters the ring, but Taker fires back with some throat chops and chokes. What can you do with this guy? You can't do a thing with this big motherfucker. No, it's the giant Gonzalez thing where he's a physical spectacle. Yeah. But he he's incapable of doing anything from a, a wrestling standpoint. Yeah. He nails a corner clothesline, but Mabel answers with a sidewalk slam. Mabel continues with a clothesline and a slam, but Taker just keeps rising. Then Moe distracts the Taker. This opens the door for Mabel to hit a belly-to-belly and a leg drop. Why would Taker take that fucking move again? Because he's a trooper. <laughs> like he, he is the most loyal guy you'll ever see. Taker can't rise at this point, so Mabel hits a splash. He then lets Moe carry Taker to the casket and place him inside. But Moe forgets that closing the door. But Moe forgets to close the lid and gives Mabel his crown instead. Yeah, this is when they're 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 catering too much to the kids. Me and uh, my best friend Omar, we hated Moe actually from Men on a Mission, and it's like he was like the weakest member of that team, and he always did the stupidest shit. And every time he would do it, we would always laugh because every time we turned around, the guy was either getting his ass kicked or doing stupid shit like this. Yep. Speaking of guys who got more credit than they deserve, exactly. Yeah. Mabel turns to close the casket, but Taker's blocking it. He then enters the ring and hits Mabel with clotheslines, and then Taker gives Mabel a choke slam. He sort of sells for it, but not really. Yeah, it's like a my, it's like it's just a flesh wound. <laughs> Taker then kicks Mabel into the casket. Mo attacks him, so Taker throws him into the casket as well. He makes sure they gather the chain before closing the lid, and Undertaker wins at six minutes eleven seconds. At least it didn't go ten, right? Oh, thank God! But it's bad. It's bad. <laughs> like it's. Uh, I mean, the amount of casket matches heavily outweigh how many good ones there are. It basically wrote Mabel off television. I mean, he'd have, like, one more match. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'd be gone for a few years, but he'd come back under a different gimmick. Now, as I mentioned a hundred times, I stopped watching in 2004. How many post-2004 casket matches did he have? Oof. He had a lot, huh? Uh, 
Well, there was the last ride match where you had to put the guy in the back of the limo. That kind of counts. Mm. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about some dumb shit that you have no idea about. I I don't know whether I'm looking forward to it or <laughs> what. Do you, do you know about the Concrete Crypt match? No, no idea. Oh, we're going to have fun in 2004, everybody. Oh, boy. When we get to it in 20 years, when your kids are moved out of the house. Yeah, and as a spoiler <laughs> alert, that's how they wrote Paul Bearer out of storyline for years. Oh, boy. All right, so we have Jim Ross doing what he's supposed to be doing, which is interviewing people backstage. <laughs> <laughs> this poor bastard took he would not get on the announcing booth for quite a while like vince would just roll him around while vince would call commentary he's backstage for an interview with the british bulldog as he's recapping SummerSlam 92 they're showing the match and the reunion of the hart family but ross is saying that he doesn't think the same will happen tonight we have diana and bulldog because diana just never left his side around this time as Cornette joins them. And Cornette says that Brett is jealous of Davey because Stu Hart favored Davey over him. And he also says that Bulldog has been stealing Brett's thunder as of late. And Stu's respect. And so we have Diana saying that she's behind her husband. And then Bulldog says that he will win the title and put it around his waist where it belongs. Right here at In Your House. Now, I will say you could have argued that Bulldog could have won this match, and the main event of WrestleMania was a heel bulldog against Shawn Michaels. Yeah. So I think this was a win-win scenario no matter what they did. I, I do think, though, they I don't think they fully trusted Davey Boy with his issues, which is why I think Brett was more reliable, and I think it would have it legitimizes Shawn more to have him beat Brett as opposed to Bulldog for his first world title, as we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. But on paper, it's a good main event after what's been a pretty bad pay-per-view so far. You know what? I'll go with you, and I'll say I, I do think the right man won this match. But first, before we get to the match, we have the dreaded Bret Hart promo with Todd Pettengill and uh, saying that he's going to prove that he's the best there is, best there was, best there ever will be. And he's also said that he's lived with his loss to Bulldog since 1992, but tonight he will have his revenge. Uh, oh, you mean the match that he always talks about how he did everything? Yeah, that one. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, Bret, fuck off. It takes two. God, like, he's the guy who loves the smell of his own farts. You are not kidding. There was no bigger mark for themselves than Bret Hart. Yep. Bret ends this promo by saying that Bulldog is going down. So here we go. Main event of the night. Bret Hart's the champion. He's taking on the British Bulldog with Jim Cornette and Diana Smith because Diana cannot leave. We have both men trading holds and takedowns, and Bulldog keeps pulling Bret's hair. He uses the tactic to gain the advantage and puts Bret Hart in a tree of woe. Bulldog stomps him and wears Brett down with some chin locks. He then turns a crucifix into a Samoan drop before nailing a leg drop. And then Davy Boy Smith distracts the ref so Cornette can attack. Brett responds with a monkey flip, an atomic drop, and a pile driver. He then starts his finishing routine, but Bulldog puts Brett on the ropes after a superplex attempt. And then they brawl to the floor where Davy Boy whips Brett into the steps. And this is when Brett cuts his forehead. And my God... I have yeah, not seen blood hard way. This man, this he lost a lot of blood in this match. <laughs> yeah, and this was at a time where you didn't see a lot of this. No, intentional or not, I think it added something. I agree with you. It definitely added a hell of a lot of drama to this. I think they did this without Vince knowing about it. And you know, once they got backstage, it's like, well, it came off the way it came off. But at this point, Bret Hart could just get away with everything because the rights groups were not really on him at this point. But man, 
this is just a lot of blood, and I don't know how they got away with this. Other than the fact that it's Bret Hart. I think it was that, and it was also like, you could make the claim that, oh, it was an accident. It wasn't like you could see an obvious blade job or anything like that. They made it look really legitimate. Yeah. And you're right. It added a ton of drama because every time, like at one point, Bulldog has a reverse headlock on him, and that blood is just gushing on that mat. And I do know, I remember I heard Ric Flair in an interview where he said the way he always bladed was he would drink a ton of orange juice beforehand. They would have blood capsules handy to make it look even more dramatic. Like he made it look so dramatic. And when it got in his blonde hair, it was always super, super dramatic. This was back in the late 80s, you know, 90s when he was in his prime. And I think Bret Hart's going for that here. I think he did do the same thing where he drank a ton of orange juice because this blood is flowing and it's flowing nonstop. Flair also forgot to mention, though, that that orange juice was mixed as part of a screwdriver. <laughs> so Bulldog's taking advantage of this situation. He's using his own pile driver and gives Brett a big stalling suplex, which he always used, where he kept him up there for, it seemed like, minutes at a time. He hits a flying headbutt, and then Brett almost reverses a bow and arrow into a sharpshooter, but Bulldog sends him to the floor. They meet at the apron, and Brett reverses a suplex into a German suplex, but both men go down to a double clothesline. The fight goes to the floor once again, and Brett lands a slingshot crossbody. However, Davy Boy catches him and does the running power slam to the floor. He then pulls up the mats and attempts a suplex, but Brett reverses it and crotches Davy on the railing. Ow! No cup could prevent that. <laughs> <laughs> no. They return to the ring where Brett whips Bulldog into an upside down bump. He follows that with a su- yeah, it almost broke his neck. Almost broke his neck in the process. Absolutely. He follows that with a superplex. I always love the superplex. That's one of my favorite moves because man, that impact when they hit that mat is so dramatic. Well, as was Vince's one, two, three, no. <laughs> Both men trade near falls until Brett backdrops Davy Boy. He then surprises Bulldog with a boot and uses a La Magistral Cradle for the win at 21 minutes and 9 seconds. We have seen Brett use this move before, but here it works. And it's a, I'll say, I, I enjoyed this match. What about you? Uh, it's a great match. It's one of the best matches we've talked about thus far. I mean, certainly in 1995 alone. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> like, wasn't a year known for technical classics, but they wrestled a different style than they did at SummerSlam. This one was a lot more physical. I'd argue the blood helped. But yeah, this this is one of those one of those things where you talk about a main event really saving a show. This is a good example. Yeah, this is something you've brought up in the past where you're saying that it's a quote-unquote one-match show, and I, I kind of go with you on this. And I want to go ahead and say this might be an unpopular opinion. I like this match more than I like their SummerSlam match. Which one do you like better? I'd have, I'd have to rewatch the SummerSlam match. It's been a long time since I've seen it. So, during this match, we're not over yet, folks. During this match, Vince is announcing that The Undertaker will face the winner of the Royal Rumble. So, Taker and Paul Bear, they're backstage talking to Todd Pettengill. And wouldn't you know it, here comes Big Daddy Cool. And Paul Bear says that Big Daddy Cool hasn't been very cool lately. <laughs> Which was a great line. Uh, Taker and him, they kind of have a stare down. And Diesel says that people have been dodging him lately. And Taker replies that I don't dodge anybody. And Diesel asks if this is going, if this is how it's going to be. And Taker says, if it's got to be, it has to be. They then stare at each other. And this is how the show ends. What do you think of this cliffhanger? Uh, it's a good cliffhanger, but I would have put this before the main event. Because it makes it, it kind of overshadows the fact that you're, you know, there was something after your world champion winning. That's a good point, for sure. All right, Matt, scale of 1 to 10, what do you give in your house five seasons beatings? Yeah, you talk about a one-match show, mm. 
that the second best match is the one that was no only second best because it was nowhere near as bad as you thought it would be with the hog pen match. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the main event really delivers, but at the end of the day, this is a one match show. Outside of it, there's not a whole lot to recommend. Felt like they were they they got Mabel out of TV, so I almost have to give them a point just for that. <laughs> It's like, all right, we've got to find something for Owen to kill time. We've got to find something for Razor and Kid to prolong this. Well, we're going to try it with Ahmed Johnson, even though he never really lived up to his potential, partially because of his own limitations. Definitely wouldn't recommend it, but if you, if, if you want to just watch the 20-plus minute main event, absolutely. So for that alone, I'm going to give this a four. Yeah, I'm with you. I gave last week's event a four. I got to do the same with this one. If they had more to work on here, and I think they are, we were they were hampered by Sean once again not being able to perform. Razor did what he could with that first match. I thought that first match was surprisingly fun, and the Hogpen match was definitely a highlight. But you're right, this is a one match show, and I cannot give two high marks to a one match show. So I am right with you, my friend. Lockstep. I had a four written down as well, but you know what? That last match alone is worth watching, and it, right now it's so convenient to just go on peacock and put on in your house five and just click to the main event that is a great match but nothing too much really to discuss here so four out of ten for me as well i don't think i have (laughs) i have to ask this but matt what was your highlight sir (laughs) all right i'm gonna say outside of the main event because that's a that's the the low-hanging fruit Mm -hmm. i'm gonna say the the sound that that gold record made when it smashed because that that had far more weight to it than anything Jeff Jarrett has done in his career. <laughs> Outside of the main event, I'll go with the Hogpen match. I thought that was fun stuff. And uh, you know what? Helmsley has literally nothing to be ashamed of in this, with this early work, man. I, I don't care what anyone has to say. I thought Henry Godwin was an underrated performer. And the um, the few these two were were building up led up to this match. And it was, it was fun stuff. Um, and the bad... Oh, God. I mean, there's so much bad on this show. <laughs> oh, God. I, I think it's got to be the casket match because that's the only other one that actually, that was not either like a squash or or 45 seconds. Yeah, yeah. And, and the Santa Claus stuff was really stupid. That's going way overboard. The Ahmed Johnson stuff doesn't really count because, as you said, it's 45 seconds and we're basically setting up a Jeff Jarrett feud, which is going to happen in the Royal Rumble. Oh, God, that casket match was unbearable. All right. Next week, we're going back to WCW. We're going to finally close out 1995, Matt. Next week will be, but the next time we talk wrestling will be the last time we talk 1995. It will be Starcade 95. Sir, have you seen this event yet? Yes, I have. And this is WCW's biggest show of the year. So it's time to see if uh, everything we had to sit through, if this was a good culmination or not. And then after that, we have Royal Rumbles to talk about. We will talk about the Clash of Champions, which opens up 1996. So lots to get to. But Matt, thank you for joining me for In Your House 5 Seasons Beatings. Hopefully it didn't beat us down too bad. We will be back as soon as we can. Matt and I's schedules are tough to work around when it comes to doing these shows. But we're going to make it happen as much as we can because we have some good stuff coming up. But until next time when we discuss Starcade 95, see you guys at the matches. Thanks, sir.